as established last week, we are doing this live on Twitch at the moment, but this is the portion just for you, podcast listener, and the people on Twitch as well, so they get both, but, you know, you're listening to this now, so it's fine. Anyway, Gwen, how's your week been? Has it been good? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, there hasn't been that much going on. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. All I do is work, and that's really boring to talk about. <laughs> uh, just been getting a lot of work done and stuff. It's difficult juggling multiple projects, but, you know, you get through. How was your week, Ben? I heard you played, uh, you went back to No Man's Sky? Yeah, I started playing No Man's Sky again, and I, I realized I'd kind of absorbed like because i didn't realize that there was a big update coming or anything in like a week and i think i just absorbed people talking about it on twitter more and more on sunday like i should play that again i think i'll play that so what are they adding why is it back in the news so it's quite a big update you're going to be able to actually play multiplayer with people in no man's sky so groups of people you can all run around doing stuff this is actually a game that flew completely uh, well, I mean, I know all the drama around it, but I never actually played this one. Huh. And I thought it was multiplayer before, right? The, no. In that kind of, like, in a BS sort of way, theoretically. Wasn't in a that the very drama? BS sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. it was a very... You might... You, it was like you could bump into someone, but you won't ever because the universe is so big and you'll never meet anyone. But we're saying that there might be some of you on the same servers, but I don't even know if there was servers. or Who knows? But... Uh, it connected online because it would upload all your data. Like when you found a planet, you could name it and species, you could yeah. name them and all that stuff. And you, and in theory, other people could find your planets and yes. stuff. Is that? But now the new multiplayer, I guess, must be more than that in that like you will definitely run into people. It's you can play of... just with your friends. I, I didn't, oh. I couldn't tell whether you will bump into other people that you're not already playing with. The trailer very much made it look like you were just going to play with friends. But mm. that's the whole thing. You can play it in third person now. That seemed to be a big deal for people, which was actually kind of cool because you could just see your ship all the time and the ships look quite nice. Dude, that's non-trivial. They went from a first-person game to a third-person game? Mm-hmm. That's quite wow. a big deal. Like, uh, so they... That's not easy. And I will tell you, the last time I played the game, this was actually one of these, and you can't see this in recorded land, but I got, this was when I was still working for quite big press here in the UK. Got one of those fancy, like, press editions that Sony send out, because Sony send out nice press editions. And I got it just before it came out, and I played it for, I think, seven or eight hours back when it came out a few years ago. And playing it now, they've added a lot and really changed kind of especially the the guided experience they've added like quests and base building and man that's so good like that's that's so good they they had such a bumpy launch and i felt yeah. it like it was heartbreaking because you come from AAA where i've never went through the um what do you call it like the if you're a designer in AAA, they'll at some point probably cart you out in front of uh in front of the press and mm. you'll get like a whole they'll train you you'll get press training yeah and you'll you'll see behind the curtain it just like exactly what you can and cannot say to the press they'll they'll tell you up front like here's all the gotchas that they're going to ask you and so i felt like when we started our studio forrest already had that like he's been through press training multiple times so he knew what to do yeah uh and he knew he's very good about messaging and we were 
I remember even all of us very early in every project we work on, there's kind of like, here are the adjectives that we use to describe things in the world. And here's the adjectives that we use to describe the game. And here's what hmm. we specifically do not use as adjectives. Yeah. And here's the features we talk about. And here's what we don't. Like, and it, this was like a constant rolling conversation of things like, this is not, uh, the flame and the flood was post-societal, not post-apocalyptic. Oh. Like the... Like it was down to just the repetition of certain words yeah. to make sure that certain words were picked up, right? And we all had to kind of be on on message, and and so you've. I I think I was really lucky that I got to work with with Forrest, who got to go through that press training from you know mm. his time at Chaos and his time at uh, Irrational, because <coughs> that really helps out. And let me tell you, these a lot of people start indie studios, they they do not have that, you know, like not no. even a little. And they um and the way you talk about your game, you have to be so careful. Uh, to manage well, expectations and to, to make sure that you don't promise too much because I I mean we've been talking about this it's possible people listening don't know the controversy but I think No Man's Sky got a lot of bad flack when it came out because what the expectations people had in their minds versus what the game actually was just did not correlate no not at all I mean it the problem was it for me anyway because I was in the press at the time of this game coming out and mm -hmm. I remember like at the time being like man i really want to interview i think sean murray i think is the guy's name i like yeah. really want to interview this guy because i want to sit him down and just be like what is it i go well but what is it what what is what is what do you do i understand there's a quintillion stars and the imagination is power or whatever but what do you actually do because yeah. at no point do i understand what i do in this game and i think a lot of the problem that came from it was like they were kind of they weren't vague like there was trailers and all sorts of cool stuff and like a good five ten minute presentation big presentations at sony's e3 press conference like it was a marquee game for sony and the playstation 4 so there was a lot of effort put behind it but i never got a sense of exactly what i will be doing so it was like now your imagination yeah. runs wild like I know. And, and the thing is, when you first start a game, especially a high, an experimental game or something like that, you might start with just a kernel of an idea, something mm. that's fun. And you don't exactly know what the game is yet. And you're tempted because you found this kernel of idea, like the, this bit of fun, to go talk about it. Um, but that's when you have to be the most careful. Yeah. Right? That's when you have to be the most careful. And if you've been, like, if you've gone through this, you, you know this, right? Uh, but when... Things change so much early on and you feel like, especially if you've put together some kind of incredible tech demo or you, you found this this piece of fun, just getting to that point takes so much effort that you want to screen from the rooftops and you want to show enough to gauge if people are interested. Like it was important to to get the to show off certain things and be like, is hmm. there a market for this? Do people want an open world game with this kind of art style, with this kind of thing that you have to give them what you definitely know? Just enough to, to see if you're on the kind of like if there's a market and if you're on the right track, but without promising anything. Um, I don't know. It's hard. And honestly, I don't know. Like hindsight's twenty twenty. Who knows if. If it wasn't extremely hyped, maybe it wouldn't have gotten the funding that it got. and Maybe mm. it would have been nothing at all. And like there's just no way to know how this could have gone. And there's it's really, really easy to, to say, like, if I was there, I'd do it differently. The truth is, if I was there, I, I wouldn't know what to do. But, uh, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this is a tiny studio being positioned by Sony in exactly the same way as some of their, well, all of their AAA games. 
So any of the huge games that they had coming out at the time, like Uncharted 4, I think, maybe came out around... That was a thing that was being hyped around the same time because it was a good free E3s that I think yeah. No Man's Sky went to. And, and I... Dude, I love those Sony studios, but they are definitely, like... Uh, who was... I saw a talk... Um, shoot. I'm trying to remember who gave it. But I... I know people that have worked at the different Sony studios mm. and they are definitely given a lot of uh, freedom to create a very crafted cinematic experience Yeah, uh, and to, to really dream and go for it. Um, and when you're surrounded by these big studios where everybody is doing that and you're encouraged to do that, I can like, I have nothing but love for that team and what they went through because they had a hellish launch. Like they, people yeah. were cruel to them when they launched. They were angry. Like the 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 like people wanted refunds. That was the general consensus that it was, and it was we've been lied to. Was the the yeah. consensus at the time? Like this is this is not what we were promised. And I just remember, like even just I remember before it came out, just a good month before it came out, thinking this isn't gonna. Like, this isn't going to be good. Like, this isn't... Well, <laughs> not, this month... isn't going to be good, but, like, this is never going to meet the expectations that is be that are being put upon it. Like, because it can't, yeah. because the expectations are so huge. You've, you're not launching an open world game. You're launching an open universe game where you can land on any planet... Where every star you see in the sky has planets around it, and you can land on every single one of those planets, and they'll have different things on them, and different animals, and different things to find, and... And it's like, in all of them? In every single one? Like, wow. So, okay. What what do you do? Because on initial launch, it was sort of like, the first hour was pretty cool, because it was kind of guided. And then it yeah. was just like, away you go. And then you kind of land on planets and just do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. Just land, mine for stuff to keep your ship going, go to another planet, and rinse thing. and repeat. A lot, of those, a lot of those games, they don't kind of become fun until the end when you've got all the pieces in and you're mm. you're massaging all the pieces you know because like you uh i mean i've worked on a roguelike where it was extremely repetitive and it took a long time to find the loop where it wasn't super boring it didn't stop being boring until the very end and you just have to have faith that that'll happen yeah like and you and this is true like there's people especially indies tend to assume that games you start out with it being fun and it's fun like the whole way through you find the kernel of fun and you build around it but that's not the case for certain kinds of genres right like an for instance the best the best example is an open world rpg mm. is definitely not fun until you have a certain critical mass of items until you have uh, a certain number of the pieces in place those games aren't fun mm. they're really boring and stupid and the whole that, well, the the initial core loop, like... Like, if, what games are you thinking so, of? Well, any Not to, like, large, crash on a game, but, like... Sure. Do you mean, like, a any Skyrim? Large, yeah, like, any large open world... Well, any large open world RPG. <clears throat> Until you have a large amount of content, you need to give this... Because the, the loop there is, like, I go out, I kill things... I get items, I equip things. Do you mean an online thing? That makes me any any RP, uh, Skyrim is fine. Oh, okay, but I got you. Sorry. Yeah, until yeah. you have like a certain number of things to kill and things to loot to feel more powerful, you the game's not fun, and so that doesn't happen for a while, right? Like it takes a while to build up enough stuff for that game to be fun, mm. and this is true also for games where you've got like a lot of knobs to tune, games where 
I feel like I suspect No Man's Sky they they were hoping that it would just become or they were planning on it becoming more fun towards the end because they were like okay once you have enough things to mine and you can start building out different tech trees or whatever uh, and you can start exploring and feeling more powerful as you progress through the game the game will be fun but it's not fun yet because we just don't have all this stuff um, that I think a part of the problem was that there never was stuff like there wasn't quests there was like I think like three threads of things you could pick up. So like mm-hmm. there was a missing person that you could find and then there was get to the center of the universe and there was also like follow the main plot basically. And you could complete those at the time if you were like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this one thing and you could do those quite quickly like at the time in comparison to I think what people thought they were going to be doing in the game. And then mm-hmm. the rest of it just felt empty which is weird for like like, there was a lot of things. Like, I remember the trailers, there was stuff where he'd say, like, and here is a space battle that you will fly by and you can pick a side and be a part. And that just wasn't a thing, like, when you started uh-huh. playing it. And it seems like it's going to be now. This next trailer had those mm-hmm. in again. It it definitely seemed to, not as much as, like, a Fable or a Peter Molyneux game, but it had a sprinkle of that where it was, like, you could see this man was really passionate and excited, but... I don't know if necessarily everything had been figured out or if you de- you're like, we're working on this right now. And it was like maybe two years down the line, it turned out like, oh. And also they had that incident. Didn't they have an incident where their studios flooded and like lost like a bunch of progress during yeah. development, as I recall as well? That's so weird to me. I mean, we, um, that's insane. Yeah, which sucked. And I swear there's like Hello Games. I think is it Hello Games that made that? I've I've got the fucking thing right here. I can well, just look. The thing is, Hello Games, the, yeah. There's like yeah, ten I mean, of them or something. Like it's it's a very small team yeah. of people. And you usually I don't know. Um I like I said, a lot of this just comes down to this is a, a slightly inexperienced team or they didn't have the experience being AAA first. No, um, I mean they'd done I think it was Joe Danger and, was their game before that. Yeah. And like like backing up having your perforce on being hosted by Amazon somewhere that's not physically in the same place as your computers is like it's something once you reach a certain budget level you know mm. to do like there's just certain things they learn their lessons they learn them all the hard way that sucks but yeah. is their new is their new expansion much better is, is it like really improved so the game in and of itself definitely is much better than it was when I last played it and I look when I loaded up my save it was like two years like 2016 was the last time I played it and started playing it again. They've definitely, they have put, they have seemingly continued to put a lot of work into it. And there also seems to be a community behind it now. Cause I was streaming it, not aware that I was streaming at the same time as this announcement trailer was about to happen. So I suddenly mm-hmm. had lots of people popping up while I was playing it, talking to me about No Man's Sky and shit. And then being like, fucking trailer's dropping soon, dude. This is going to be amazing. We, we, we don't know if it, cause they've been apparently They've been running this ARG since the first update or like leading to this trailer, which has been a few years like (laughs) of this ARG they've been doing has been running and they've been doing all kinds of cool stuff. But it kind of because of the initial like, no, it's terrible. It definitely fell off the radar. But this they're doing seemingly quite a big blast. I need to turn screensavers off. Sorry, that's really annoying. They uh, they're doing quite. That's that's good for them, man, because like I would have abandoned the game like I, I i mean i don't know what i would have done but i feel like if i was in their shoes and i had such a rocky launch 
I don't know if I would have stuck through it. And that takes a lot for them to have decided to do that. I don't know. Um, like, I don't know their situation as well as I probably should as mm. an indie. But, like, good for them. That's great. It is. And it it also, like I said, it just kind of feels like uh, this update. It, it feels like, like this could have been No Man's Sky 2. Yeah. Looking at the trailer, like just watching the trailer, it looks like a new game in No Man's Sky. Like it's like, oh, it's third person now and you can do multiplayer with like, it looked like four people at once and go exploring the galaxy, which makes a big difference. Like honest, because the galaxy is kind of quiet for a galaxy. Having it be a space where you can talk with friends, I think is going to make a big difference for a lot of people and explore together and stuff like that. And they've added a photo mode now. I know that's kind of the done thing, seemingly with Sony games, but like, it's it's a beautiful game. Like, still, like you play it now to this, like even a few years later, and you're like, wow, this game looks really nice. They did a really good job with the visual style, and yeah, yeah it's impressive good. that they, like you say, that they stuck with. I mean, who knows how much of this is they had to or whatever, but like. I imagine a lot of money was sunk into No Man's Sky, like, by Sony and by them and whoever. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I try to put myself in their shoes. On the one hand, keeping it going would have been really hard. On the other hand, you still do have a studio with a lot of money, and it's not like you can just... Releasing a set, a new title, starting to spin up something else on the heels of, of that would have been difficult. Like, if they mm -hmm. just started making No Man's Sky 2 and then released this as No Man's Sky 2, obviously the, the press would have lynched them like it would have been yeah. terrible it would have been like oh uh, okay so it's doing all the things that you said the first one would do <laughs> but, but this yeah. time you gotta buy it again <laughs> you're like oh yeah. so yeah this is a huge this is a free update like it's not a paid thing so that's great yeah this is good this is a good story yeah and they seem to be doing well and the people that popped that well like i said this was a video game that people i didn't know popped into while i was streaming it to be like hey man you put like one guy literally came in and was like hey man just trying to help out people playing no man's sky from the beginning like if you need anything i'll be in the chat and it was like oh okay so there's a community around this game of people that are super into it and are doing stuff like that and are following all these updates and arg stuff and things like that so that's yep. good. It came out during a good time, too, because it is a slow news week. Yeah. There is not a, time not a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, there's the new Xbox hardware being announced at Gamescom, but no one's really setting phases for excitement with that one. So it's... Yeah. Oh, well, I thought Microsoft had a really strong showing at E3, um, comparatively. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job. I thought it was a little bit weird at E3 that they were just kind of like, also, we're working on a console. No details. Just like... Yeah. That's a thing. Goodbye, well, peace. I got the feeling that they did that because you think if I, if Joe Chris is sitting here in England and it's like, hmm, feels like they're not going to make consoles anymore. Feels like it's going towards an Intel kind of style way of doing things. That definitely felt like a response to articles like that in a way of set. Because they say, and we are committed to the Xbox and we are going to be doing more. There's going to be more consoles, like plural, and like we're doing this. Like, well, look at these studios we've purchased and look at this stuff. It's like that just kind of felt like a reaffirming of like 
No, we're still doing... Microsoft is still doing the Xbox. Like, that's still happening. So don't think it's not and report that it's not. <laughs> that's true. Especially coming on the heels of right before that, the president of Ubisoft was saying that this will be the last console generation. This yeah. next one. The, to be fair, so, like, it's... it's. I always equate that to Hideo, Hideo Kojima saying that Metal Gear Solid 2 was the last Metal Gear Solid that he would ever make. And it's like, yeah, people say these things, but then... <laughs> They just got it. I don't think this is going to be the last console generation. Just purely because, I mean, particularly with like Sony and Nintendo. Nintendo are doing so well. And Sony mm. are so hardware focused as well. And it's like, it's not like Sony are releasing their exclusives anywhere else. Microsoft mm. are at least doing the PC thing. So you can kind of see where that might go- lead to instead of having a <clears throat> box that they're selling people. But. Mm. Sony and particularly Nintendo as well. Nintendo are doing crazily Switches. well. Switch, I don't. I have no words. That's unbelievable how well the Switch is doing. I don't think they're. Um, have you heard much about the Labo? Like the other, the little kind of came and went. Like it was. Yeah. It felt like a. It's a, a such cool idea. It's. An, I knew, I immediately knew it was nothing I wanted to do. I'm not practical and i'm also have zero intelligence so programming and building i was like no i'm gonna it's not for me very cool though but it kind of came kids away. liking it well that's like, kind of what see, it's aimed at yeah. right like that that you could it i don't think they were thinking i mean obviously with nintendo stuff plenty of grown-ups do like it tons of grown-ups do like it but well the Switch, like, anecdotally, everyone I know that's obsessed with the Switch is a dad. Like, <laughs> the ability to just play play a hardcore game mm. in your living room, take it off, go, like, rock the baby to sleep. There's uh, dads and, I'm assuming moms, I just don't know many of those for some reason, uh, yeah. just love it. Like, love the Switch. Yeah, um, I, I remember a friend of mine, when he first had his kid, this wasn't with the Switch because the Switch wasn't out. But the Vita became his favorite console because he could have his newborn baby like this and sit and play Minecraft at the same time. He was like, oh, it's great. So while in the four hours I can't move at all because this is when the baby's asleep, I can sit and play Minecraft (laughs) rather than just do nothing at all. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's got those advantages. But, yeah, the, the Labo was an interesting thing. I mean, it, it, you could, you can, it's a pretty powerful programming language in terms of the things on launch you saw people doing with it, like, in terms of what they could build with it. It kind of looked like that thing, visually, it looked like that thing you're using, Blueprint, with the connecting of the lines to the things. With the, yes, with the visual scripting. Yeah, it looked like that. Like, it, admittedly, it looked like a less aesthetically pleasing version of that, which was odd for Nintendo because it's all, like, kind of black and white and doesn't look too nice. But it still kind of looked like that. It was, like, true. This goes back to, there's a there's fun in making things. And I've said this, like, a million times. It's one of the reasons why I love what Media Molecule is doing. Mm. Um, it's really fun to make things. And anybody that can tap into that is, um, I, I think they're, that's a... It's a hard market to hit, but mm. if you can tap into that in a way that's somewhere between, like Minecraft is building, there's lots of games where you build, and there's lots of games where, and then obviously Media Molecule in the past with um, has made games where you can make little games, and a lot of people, if you look around on, people are using Unity and Unreal to mm. to make games. Like there's a whole spectrum here that's between game engine and game, 
uh, that I think is interesting. I think it's that I've said this a million times. I think there's a lot of unexplored design space on that spectrum of yeah. just letting other people make shit. Well, that's I, I think we talked about this after I interviewed the dude, didn't we? Like about dreams. Yeah, that we, made, yeah. we talked extensively about this. We already, did. But yeah, but that that shit feels like that's the first like the first company to actually go wait a minute like <laughs> like we could go full fucking the fact that you can make music in there and like all sorts yeah. of shit i was just like oh okay and again i'm a stupid guy who can't build things but just talking to the dude he was so fucking infused about his product that i was just like well shit i'm gonna have to buy it now aren't i even though i will probably never make anything i'm still like oh yeah this, this is a good idea but yeah, there you go. So you you touched on something briefly when we were talking about uh, No Man's Sky. You mentioned how like the media training and kind of the difficulty of being an indie and knowing what to say and how much to say. Like, have did have you encountered that before? Like, did you encounter? I guess because like you say with the Flame and the Flood, uh, Forest was kind of already trained. So maybe you didn't have to worry about that so much, but like, was there or is there now? Like, I feel like you must have a balance of like, even when you're streaming, like, oh, how much of this video game can I actually show? Or how much do I want to show people without spoiling it? Like, I don't know. Well, there's a difference between um, a commercial product, like what we're doing at work, which mm. I can't tell you anything about. Yeah. <laughs> Because we haven't worked out what we're going to say or when we're going to say it. And that there's like a careful plan there, right? Mm. Of what we say and when and what words we use when we do start talking about it. Um, and a certain vocabulary when we do start talking about that game. Uh, so that's that's actually very carefully constructed. The stuff I'm doing with Kind, this is um, this is a passion project. So mm. I kind of don't worry about it so much. Maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, but it's such a... It's so far under the radar that I'm just not that worried about it. Like, I don't think Polygon's gonna do a, a piece on, like, a grid-based puzzle game being I... made by a solo dev in a basement. Like, I don't probably think that's Probably not now. Gonna... Yeah, like, a year yeah. out. Like, they're probably not gonna... <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, like, I, there's just... The hype train isn't there, so I'm not super mm. worried about it. And I don't anticipate the hype train really being there. Um... It's just, it's different when you're working, uh, it's just different scales. Mm. Like, No Man's Sky was at a different scale where they had a lot of, once you have a certain amount of money and the backing of somebody like Sony, yeah. uh, though you have to be far more careful about what you show. But I guess a better example would be, um, so before The Flame and the Flood was funded, back before we kickstarted, um, we had a lot more freedom to talk about it a lot more. Uh, we, we were... No, that's not true. Even during our Kickstarter trailer, we were um, we were pretty careful about certain phrases because yeah. we wanted to make sure the tone was sold well. Um, well, you were coming. I mean, we've discussed this before, and I imagine people that have followed your stuff know. But you were coming. Your studio was a story because you were coming off the back of a big story, which was yes. like the folding of. Uh, completely fucking forgotten irrational, irrational. there you go yeah. <laughs> i was suddenly like the studio yeah. that made bioshock was all that was coming into my head irrational like you were coming off it's the okay. back of irrational and also you like the flame in the flood 
not to the extent that No Man's Sky was at all, but no, like The Flame and the Flood was, you know, it was pushed by Microsoft and it was on an E3 stage. Admittedly, they, I don't, did they, I don't think there was ever a point where like Forrest came out on a stage and was like, hello, this is our game. It was just like a, a idea yeah. Xbox so montage. I- yeah, I need Xbox does a montage at, um, of like 20 games, usually in a very mm. short trailer each year yeah. at E3. And we were in that, which was great. And I loved like being working with Microsoft for us for for this project was fantastic. Like they were an incredibly good partner. And I have nothing but love for what that team pulled off for us. Um, and I could go into that extensively, but I think I've gone into that before. I think uh, uh, what was the initial question? It was talking about what we... Uh, what, when we came off of Bioshock Infinite, we knew, we formed the studio, we kind of knew what we wanted to make, um, but we we basically only said certain words that we, like, we, we debated even before the Kickstarter trailer if we were going to use the word roguelike or roguelite, mm. because there was debate in the community over what those words mean, because words yeah. of meaning. Um we we still debated those words very heavily, but I think what the difference is kind is I'm trying to do like open development. We didn't do open dev at all for mm. at, at the molasses flood, and we're still not doing it. Open dev is kind of the idea that you develop a game live with a community, and so you can't do that, right? Like yeah. people are watching me figure out what the words are live on Twitch, yeah. practicing saying the words live on Twitch. Like there's no it's completely open so there's uh you can't have that veil but i'm also i don't think i'm promising anything yeah <laughs> i don't know uh it, it just feels very different for some reason like that feels like a commercial the stuff i do at the molasses flood is, is it's indie but it's definitely commercial indie do you understand what i'm saying yeah i understand uh there, there is actually on gamesindustry.biz speaking of idea xbox a story about uh chris charla I think is the name. Yeah, if I'm pronouncing that right. Because it's uh, next month will be the uh, five-year anniversary of Idea Xbox. And it's him talking about five years of Idea Xbox and the uh, biggest successes, pain points, and conventional wisdom on when to announce and release independent games. Okay, so I was... I was drinking with Chris Charlo one time. Oh, uh, shit. Gwen's getting to the fucking good stories immediately. One time after Gamescom, it's actually drinking with Chris Charla, and I remember, I remember this is like me fucking up terribly. It was like, because it's rare that you get to, you know, talk to somebody that important. And yeah. We were talking about, yeah, and we, and we were talking about ID at Xbox and what Sony was doing versus ID at Xbox, and he was like, "Well, I mean, like, I, I don't remember who, but somebody in the conversation had brought up that perhaps um, Sony was doing better by indies or whatever." And uh, Chris Charles like, well, Gwen, I mean, I mean, what would you do? Gwen, what would you do if you were me? What would, how would you change ID to Xbox? And he said that to me. But you have to understand, I, I was starving. And a waitress came by with these little finger food cheeseburgers mm-hmm. right at that moment. And I was just like, Chris, I don't know what I would do about that. But those cheeseburgers look delicious. <laughs> and he was like, hell yeah. And then we both ate little <laughs> cheeseburgers. That's cool. And that was like, the, I had this moment, right, where like I, some fucking nobody, could have, like, impressed somebody important, you could have. or like, 
changed things yeah. in some way. And instead, I was like, God, I could go for a cheeseburger. I, I and know. I went with, from producerial roles that having conversations with people sometimes you can have a half hour conversation with someone where they're talking about all their ideas and there'll be one there's always one nugget in there somewhere where you're like ah that that's good i can use that that's a good idea well done but you just went pure cheeseburger which is just like i threw there was that opportunity and i i threw it away I was just like every there was no part of Gamescom that was like me doing the right thing. Like it was all just terrible. Yeah, good work. <laughs> I had a bad time. But how did you guys end up with ID X? Like how did you end up with Xbox? Like well, how did we, that come about? Well, we we kickstarted uh, our game and we wanted um, one of our stretch goals was to be on the Xbox, uh, and we did not hit that stretch goal. We hit all the stretch goals before that one, mm. and we failed to hit that one. Um, and why was that a stretch goal? Like what was the it's not like you just hit a button and come out on the Xbox. Like there's a certain <laughs> amount of engineering work that has to go into it, right? Okay. So it's more time and stuff like that to submit it's the more, game to Microsoft well, and all that shit. It's time to submit it. It's also just a programmer's work. Like somebody's yeah, got to make it work, work on it. Yes, exactly. Um, so you'd either have to pay a programmer or um, like, yes, use some programmer time and time is money, so forth. Um, Do you know, I don't... <laughs> That's fucking stupid, but you know what? I don't think I've ever thought of that. And I don't know if people necessarily do as much. Like, when they'll say stuff like, put it on the, just put it on the Switch. Put it on the fucking Switch. You're like, no, I have to do things. I can't just, I can't just make that happen. Oh. I need to, I need to do stuff. It needs to be re, like, we need to change things. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta rework the code. The yeah. worst for that is, um, a lot of people will get really upset about Linux. This is like a standard thing. Yes, talk to I anybody. remember. Yeah, you saying once Linux. Yeah. People are like, why isn't it coming out on Linux? Like ten people are playing it on Linux right now. Like ten. That's it. <laughs> You're all angry, but there's not fucking many of you. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it's there's a much smaller user base for Linux, and it's not free. It's not trivial. Mm. Like it, it's a lot of work to. Um, you have to have a programmer rework your code base to work on linux like yeah. it, it just doesn't happen automatically and i know like that's like an roi thing right it's like mm-hmm. ma'am i so said that's like an roi thing like you're looking at that like yeah. man we're gonna put a lot of work into this and how many people how many are you actually definitely gonna buy it like <laughs> forest actually did a really nice breakdown on our forums of like um what it costs to port that's to linux cool. versus the how much money we would get out of it and it was like we will lose a large like we will lose a lot of our investment if we come out on Linux. And people, you know, you expect people to be like, bullshit. But actually, people took it pretty well. They were like, you know what, okay, that was... Like, your math checks out, man. Well, that's... It is, honestly, like, I think... Because community management is a very difficult thing. But that is a very good thing to do. Like, to just come out honestly when you are being truthful. And be like, we would lose money. <laughs> like, there's... You'd have to be a super dick to be angry at a company about that. Well, fuck you. I still want it. It's like, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> like, like, do you have them all night? Yeah. So there's, anyway, yeah. so Microsoft, uh, you had the stretch goal and oh, you yeah, didn't meet didn't, it. We didn't hit the stretch goal. So Microsoft reached out to us and they said they would help us put it on the Xbox. Oh, shit. Um, they just reached out to you. Yep. And we, cool. we worked out a deal with them. And uh, yeah, it, it was great. They helped us out. We got it on the Xbox. They um, Once you become part of the ID at Xbox program, there's a certain number of devs that they'll really like, really get behind and back, and we, we just happened to be one of them. They mm. took our game and they showed it at Gamescom. 
for instance, like we didn't buy a booth space at Gamescom. Microsoft, if you go there, if you go to any of these big shows, you'll know Microsoft has a large booth. Yes. And they'll show off um, a couple of games they're working on and some some number of indie games. And they seem to, it's magic. You don't know which indie games they choose. They seem to choose them. They'll they'll pick like the ones that make their portfolio look really good. So if you happen to be releasing like if somebody else was making kind of a artistic roguelike at the same time mm. uh they would pick the best between the two for instance yeah. they want like a, a diversity of kinds of games and looks and things they makes want stuff to make yeah but if you happen to be like lucky and and one of their you know uh, darlings like uh, i'll call it darlings yeah uh, there's a handful of darlings that got shown off quite a bit and uh we were one of them so we were they they showed our game at gamescom at e3 um at a couple of separate press events, uh, they they always organized before each show, like before Gamescom. They had a pre-Gamescom show that was just Microsoft games, where they would show our game just to the press, and they'd invite us to talk directly to the press. Nice. That was huge. Like we would have been nothing without that. Yeah. I I cannot. I'm not kidding when I say the partnership with Microsoft is something that I I really, um, like that was a very, there was a huge advantage we didn't realize we had like that we would get uh it was extremely beneficial to us this is something i i honestly think it's it's wise to try very hard to make partners like this mm. that are that have this kind of visibility these intangible things i think a lot of people when they look at publishing deals when they look at who they can partner with they think mostly about money um yeah. but they don't think about like this is a partner that can they could show my game off at shows, which was huge for us. Well, yeah. Having that. I having, mean, if um, you're in Microsoft's E3 presentation, I know just from being press, if you're in that E3 presentation, I can guarantee you I'm going to get at least one to two articles out of every single fucking indie game that is in that pre like presentation because you're going to talk about everything that was in Microsoft's presentation. So being in that is going to get you way more traction than not being in that, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's not just I, I found so Microsoft for us was extremely beneficial. Um, the fact that uh, Epic sh uh, put us up in their booth at, at GDC, that That's was incredibly cool. beneficial and yeah. good. There's deals we didn't get that I think are interesting. There are other things people can pursue, like um, if you have friends at Intel or NVIDIA, uh, that can be very beneficial just for... Um, if you need, if you're doing something technically impressive and uh, you want combat compatibility testing, for instance, Nvidia might. Nvidia, Intel, a lot of these large tech companies have can can do a great deal of compatibility testing for you. Mm. Can really run your game or your tech or whatever you're doing through the ringer. Um, That's cool. But they'll do things like Nvidia. They they want to make sure things run well in their hardware. Yeah. Um, so it's just beneficial to make these to make friends with people and make relationships with these larger companies if you can if if there's anybody that you end up if there's anybody that you're accidentally make look good or um what are other examples i think uh, nvidia i brought up because i know um this is huge for us at irrational uh we you know liz and bioshock infinite had that cloth skirt mm. i've said before like we did nothing to do with that um nvidia was working on apex cloth they were working closely with Epic and they wanted to have some flagship game that showed off Apex Cloth. Uh, this is something that they, uh, they, we were, we saw a tech demo at GDC. This was before I joined Irrational. Mm. Um, and they, uh, 
they agreed to help us get Apex Cloth up and running on Liz. And, and she was like, basically, they were working on Apex Cloth at the same time as we were developing Bioshock Infinite. And they would, they were working to make Apex Cloth work as well as possible using Liz. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, because of that, we had this nice flowing skirt in game and, and yeah. we could use Apex Cloth in game. Um, but they did all the work for it. We didn't pay them shit. Right. Like that yeah. was free. Uh, they wanted to have this awesome tech working in a live game. And there's a there's a lot of things like that that you don't think about. Opportunities that you just kind of got to that are hard to find. And you just kind of got to try to sense when they come up. Mm some of it's luck some of it's just talking to people and figuring out what other people want and always trying to think of like how you could help out someone else and it, it like especially these larger companies is there something you can do that'll showcase their stuff because it's impossible to stand out as a small indie dev it's you can't go it alone and i think um and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to pursue a publisher i don't necessarily think the best deals in the industry are the ones where you get money yeah, I agree. I mean, even the ones that I... Even two developers that spring to mind, Rami and John Blow, like, that can kind of stand alone now, like, uh, John Blow's first big game that I always forget the name of. Uh, Braid. Braid. Braid was on was a real big... Microsoft pushed the share of that on the Xbox 360 with Xbox Live Arcade, and it was huge. Like, that's where I remember that game from. I remember that being the first thing I saw on Xbox Live Arcade, along with, like, Super Meat Boy coming out a little while after. That's what I associated with anyway. So, like, that was just me playing games at the time. And also Rami being with Devolver for, like, one of his games. It was like, okay, well, that that's, like, for... I think it was Loof Rousers. I think that was Devolver. Pretty sure that was Loof Rousers. But yeah, like you begin those like relationships with people and that's going to help you get known so you can do stuff on your own. I guess it's my point. Yeah. I don't know. I thought I thought Braid was on the E3 stage for Sony. Oh, but maybe I'm It I was a know. very long It was a long time, time ago. ago. I don't like this was pre me like even not living in my parents' house. Like this is <laughs> This was a while ago, like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't remember, but I definitely remember it being on the Xbox 360, and I remember that being where I discovered that that game existed. Mm -hmm. And I think what you brought up with Devolver is uh, is true too. I think there's a lot to a publisher that is, um, what do you call it? Devolver's very good at having a presence and a portfolio and uh, connecting to. Uh, the media? How do I put this? So it, it goes back to what I was saying before is the, the most important thing you get or some of the strongest relationships you get are not necessarily money. Mm. I do think if you're going to go for somebody like if you're going to have a partnership with ID at Xbox or Devolver or something like this, you should definitely get money so that well, yeah. they get a percentage on the back end yeah. because you want them to have skin in the game. Yeah, 100%. And you want them to be in incentivized to push your stuff. I think that's important. But I think what makes... Um, maybe Devolver or uh, certain publishers that I res like I respect Annapurna quite a bit, mm. mostly because I think they're very careful about curating what's in their portfolio. Yeah. Um, and they, they release a lot of games that are very similar, which I think is an interesting, not similar, but like they, they seem to have a through line and a, yeah. a sort of voice as a publisher, which I think is interesting. Well, Devolver um, have a similar thing. Like you can kind yes. of think of it, a Devolver game. I mean, they do have like, you can kind of challenge that kind of easily because they do have those, 
outliers that are out there, but there definitely yeah. is that Devolver kind of thing. I know. I know you love Devolver. Well, I worked uh, for them. That was, <laughs> that, that was the... Br and also, I was going to say, like, I know how much fucking work they put into, like, promoting and publishing and fucking all... The whole... Like, I've seen the whole thing, so it's like... Yes. And that's I'm the thing. Biased. It's not... A lot of the... If you're indie, it's important to know which publishers are the good ones that do that and which ones aren't. Because there are yeah. a certain number that just aren't. Like, there are certain publishers that are... Uh, they give you money and then they walk away and yeah that's not the best publishing deal in my mind i would much personally for me for for how i would run a business i would much rather work with a publisher that has a voice mm. or is present at shows or can demonstrate um through their backlog that they've worked hard to promote their games um and I, I do think Rami is a really good voice for Devolver. I, he talks him up quite a bit, too. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, honestly, like, not not just speaking as someone that worked for them for, like, a few years, but also, like, just being, a, like, if you... It's the same as, like, in Microsoft situation, but, like, if you're a Devolver game, you're in the Devolver booth. You're at the Devolver E3 lot, which means the amount of work that goes into making that parking lot across the street like happen like and mm -hmm. the press will go and visit that and all of that shit and your games are there and yeah they yeah they're a good they, publisher to be with if you're going to be with a publisher well i mean yeah uh, it, it just it is strategic i mean part of it is so you have to do a certain amount of calculus where you're you're like okay if i bring in somebody and i give them a certain percentage of my game i need to make sure that the pie is bigger like if you're if your profit is a a pie mm, mm -hmm. you want to eat as much pie as possible because pie yep. is delicious hell yeah but it's um it, if you get a bigger pie then having giving up a small piece of that doesn't matter if so long as the pie is big enough right yeah um and so you have to have confidence that you have the kind of game where a little bit more money and a lot more marketing will mean a much bigger pie and yeah. there's certain games that are very niche where it's like if shenzhen io had more money and more marketing do you think it would have really been bigger maybe not man mm. like that's got a very specific niche audience yeah and so not every game necessarily fits this right but um the kinds of games i think that we do at the molasses flood tend to be more best in breed games games with um a higher art fidelity games that are i mean they're experimental but they're not necessarily aiming at a very very small niche so for us i think working with publishers has been very beneficial i think like I'll, I'll, we self-published right initially yes. and then we signed with curve a year after launch yeah um that was that was the switch version of flame in the so Flood no as well we we uh we actually signed that for the ps4 initially but in ah. our contract we talked about it in our contract and we um i oh shit i can't give you the, the details of the contract but uh we because we were working with them um so advantages to different publishers. One of Curve's advantages is they started out as a port house. They started out as a, a shop that would take games and port them to other consoles. Yes. And it's something they're still quite good at. And it's one of the reasons why we approached them because when we initially approached them, what we needed was um, we were like, okay, we've self-published on the Xbox and on the PC, and we have we're broke. <laughs> it's still a year out. Like we can't we can't afford to put somebody like to pay some studio to. Uh, put us in the ps4 let's find a partner yeah. and get this game on the ps4 and get a sliver of whatever that money will be and so that was kind of our deal with curve but curve's a publisher and so they took it they um we over time we didn't want to manage 
making sure that we were in sales and stuff on Steam and, and keeping up a lot of that stuff. And so they mm. took over that as well. And they just kind of, t- we let them take over publishing for everything. And it was very beneficial. They, um, they were the ones that said, hey, you need to get on the Switch. We will do all the work. We will port it to the Switch. We will literally, you will do literally nothing. Just yeah. let us put your game on the Switch because my God, we, we smell something coming here. And they did it for <laughs> that us. Switch. The Switch. <laughs> They're like, this is going to do well. Like, thank goodness that they were our publisher. We would not have had that. Like, yeah. they, we did very well on the Switch. And honestly, it was largely because we were signed with Curve. Yeah. Uh, and so I've got, like, I, I mean, I know. I, and even now, like, with, with Kine, I'm like, I would rather, you know, gouge out someone's eyes than give up any fucking rights to a publisher. But on the other yeah. hand, that's so illogical and stupid, right? Like, yeah. there's so there's much definite advantages, gained. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Well, Gwen, I think this has been a very fine podcast. Has it has it been fine? Has it been It's been acceptable? fine. It's it's been it's been fine. Very fine as in the the sense of good. Uh, not as opposed to medium good. <laughs> like, it's been very good. Has so, it been double fine? Or was it just the No, that fine? they're they're seemingly a very good publisher as well, so there you go. It's all coming together, Gwen Frey. You're uh you're on fire. Well, thank you back. for being here with me, Gwen. Uh, we're going to wrap this episode up now. For the people here on Twitch, which you can watch live too on Wednesdays, it's 7 p.m. UK time, which I think is like, what, 2 p.m. in Eastern time? Yes, 2 p.m. Yeah, there you go. 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can watch it on twitch.tv slash goldfish if you do want to watch it live. We're going to wrap up here now on the audio portion, but for people watching on Twitch, we'll hang around for a little bit and chat and answer questions and stuff. Uh, Gwen, thank you for joining me, and uh, hey. we'll speak to you next week. It's always a pleasure. This has been Gwen Frey and Chris Slight, and you've been in the dialogue box. Bam. And that. <laughs>